Facebook leads the industry in stopping bad actors online. That's because they've invested $13 billion in teams and technology to enhance safety over the last five years. It's working. In just the past few months, they've taken down 1.7 billion fake accounts to stop bad actors from doing harm. But working to reduce harmful and illicit content on their platforms is never done. Learn more about how they're helping people connect and share safely at about.fb.com safety. So we're here at Marshall's with Liz for some holiday shopping. She's really nailing it this year, isn't she? Oh, yep. She's got a record player for Amy. A gorgeous cozy sweater for Jason. And some hot pink fluffy slippers for her sister. The perfect gift. Wait a sec. <gasps> She's getting a pair for herself. Well, with prices this good, it would be rude not to. You know what? She totally deserves it. Oh, totally. Happy holidays, everyone. See you at Marshall's. Fabulous brands. Feel good prices at Marshall's. Morning. Morning. This show contains mature content. Listener discretion is advised. Are you ready to get your mind blown? One angry New York City Puerto Rican decided to start a radio show. Determined to piss the world off by shoving a mirror in front of society's face. He kicked them in the balls. What are you? Who are you? This is the Crotch Shot Radio Show. Crotch Shot Radio Show. This is not a test. This is a broadcast transmission. We're going to stay on the air. And now, and now, the Wimpy, the Wimpy. Welcome to the Crowd Shot Radio Show where we kick the issues in the balls. We are on an active war against bullshit. We would do anything and everything to expose bullshit. The ends sometimes justify the means. So if you're angry and want the truth exposed, then strap in and prepare to be shocked. This is Smash Mouth Talk. If you can't accept that, then fuck off. I'm your host, Louis B. I takes no shit from nobody. I actually expose the bullshit of society and chop it up into easy to digest chunks for you. Today will not be any different. Today I am honored to have a libertarian uh, candidate for comptroller of New York City, Mr. Alejandro Merced. Alex, how you hey, doing? Doing good. How you doing? How's everything? Oh, I can't I can't complain, you know. It's 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 a it was a beautiful day in New York City, a little rain and then it just warmed right up. It, it's you know, get, uh, you know, as as my grandmother would say, you know, cogiendo color, catching some color from the sun. See, I am very glad it's overdue. Yeah. So, yeah, well, by the way, you you uh you uh, speak some Spanish and you know, I know I said this isn't um it wasn't important, but you are Puerto Rican. Mm-hmm. And yes, I um am. by state law, I have to do this. Okay. 
So yeah, <laughs> oh man, just I, I just I, it just you know I have no choice in the matter. <laughs> it's okay, I get it, I get it. It's all good. Yeah. <laughs> so let let's just let's get let's just jump right into this. Um, you know you're you're running for you were you ran for senate back in 2016. Yep. Um, I did vote for you. Thank you. I did vote for you. I, I, whenever there's a libertarian candidate, I vote straight down. Perfect. Um, you know, um, unfortunately, obviously, you didn't make it because why do you feel... Well, first question, why do you feel New York State is not ready for libertarianism? I don't think that it's not ready for libertarianism. I mean, I felt like I got a pretty good response when I was traveling the state last year, mm-hmm. but... It, libertarianism is just starting to really kind of get into sort of the public consciousness, mm-hmm. and especially in a very progressive-leaning state like New York, there's uh, there's just basically a lot of uh, there's a discussion that needs to be had. It's being had. I mean, I have my vote total last year was around forty-eight thousand votes, which makes mm. me the third highest vote total for a libertarian in New York history. Um, behind uh, number one was Norma Segal in nineteen ninety-two. Number two was Warren Redlich in 2000, 2010. And uh, again, that's high. Those are highest vote totals outside of president because president's a different story. Yeah. But um, bottom line is, for a party to win, because again, there's the liber- there's the argument for libertarianism, which I think is growing in New York and in other places. Mm-hmm. Uh, New York, we got a lot of room for growth because it's a tough state for libertarians. But the Libertarian Party, for it to grow, what you need to be able to do is you need to be able to run candidates all across the ballot because right. what happens like. As a U.S. Senate candidate last year, uh, the areas where I did better were areas where we had down-ballot candidates, candidates running for state legislature or other offices. Mm-hmm. The problem is is that right now the Libertarian Party isn't an official party in New York, oh. so we have to collect a lot of signatures to get on the ballot, which make which is really expensive. I mean, we spent mm-hmm. around seventy grand to get me and Gary Johnson on the ballot in New York last year, right. and uh, that's 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 a lot of money. Um, so what happens is that we can't run as many candidates as we like. And most voters, they just pick a party. They don't even care. Like most people didn't even realize there was a U.S. Senate race last year. Mm. They just pick their party and they vote all the way down. Right. So to get people to vote libertarian as a habit, you ha- they have to be able to vote all the way down. We need to be able to run candidates for every other office. That's why 2018 is such a big year. Because mm. if the libertarian party gets 50,000 votes in 2018, then we get – we are an official party for the next four years, which means we could run candidates for every office without any kind of challenges. Because right now, when we do try to run down ballot candidates, because we had a whole bunch of candidates last year, but a lot of them, once they got their signatures, Republicans and Democrats challenged their signatures and had them removed from the ballot. Wow. So with, if we can get that 50,000 votes in 2018, that's really the next big step. And then after that, really, that opens the doors because we can run lots of candidates everywhere. Then you have all sorts of libertarians all across the state walking around talking to people about libertarianism. Right. Because um, it's a lot different when it's a candidate reaching out to people mm-hmm. than it's just people reaching out to people. For some reason, when you're a candidate, it's just people just l- 
listen more. Yeah, I really do believe it was Ron. It was Ron Paul that really kind of got the ball rolling. If if you think about mm-hmm. it, I mean that's that's what got me. I mean, same here. Listening to Ron Paul is, is like it made the most sense. Like that that like limited government. Leave me alone. Let me make my money. And I I mean look I I and I've spoken about this on the show before. Yeah, if 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 New York became a totally libertarian state. Yeah, for I guess the first few years, things will be hard. People will have, you know, but the opportunity will finally be opened up. I mean, is that is that a an issue? People are are too uh, in love with their entitlements. Um, it's it's um, well, basically, people are gonna at the end of the day vote in their self-interest, mm-hmm. which is rational. I mean, we expect all people to act sort of in their rational self-interest. So when there are government programs in place that benefit someone, um, it's in their rational self-interest unless they feel like it's in their rational self-interest to do something else. Mm-hmm. That's what the libertarian message... We have, What happens is we spend a lot of time talking about the problem. We say, okay, the government causes this problem, government causes this problem. And most all people hear is, oh, more problems. I mean, last thing... People don't like people who just sit there and highlight more problems in your life. You're saying, okay, I already know I got all these problems. Now you're telling me I got more. People want to hear people with solutions. And that's that's what the, us libertarians need to spend more time focusing on. What is the solutions? So what I like to always focus on is instead of saying, okay, government causes this problem, causes this problem, which is all true. Mm-hmm. I like to focus on saying, hey, you know what? We can solve these problems today. Instead of waiting around for government and waiting for political solutions, because even if you think a political solution will work, it takes election cycles, right. which means you're talking about decades and then the end result will be a watered-down version of what you were working for in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Well, you can get together with some friends, start a business, start a charity, start a community organization that requires no government. Is just you reaching out to other people, communicating them the value of making actual change, and you can make that change on your terms today. So the idea is we can inspire people to ask to take that power back, that power to change the world around them. Then the demand for government will naturally disappear, um, and government mm-hmm. will shrink. But until, until we inspire people to take back that power, what's going to happen is that the other parties are just going to keep scaring people, telling them how the world is a scary place that, that will only feel less scary if you allow government to take more and more control of your life. So we need to inspire because we, we have our work cut out for us because we're asking people to take responsibility of their lives. We're asking right. people to take back power. That, that requires inspiration, not fear. Fear is a much easier thing to give people. But fear is something you use when you're trying to take power from someone, and that's not what we're doing. So it's a much harder argument that we're trying to make, but it's a, it's the right argument. Um, well, uh, before I um, – all right, let me just go with this question because I forgot the question I was going to ask. You would think that, you know, if someone is in a constant state of fear, I mean, most people would get upset and tired of being afraid. Why hasn't – why why are people so comfortable allowing the government like oh yeah the government should do this the government like like with democrats it's like they are um they're charitable with other people's stuff oh agreed the problem is people don't people need to know what the solution looks like and believe that the solution works mm-hmm. um so a lot of times like again libertarians talk about how well if we made the, if we got government out of the way, businesses would do X, charities would do Y. But you know what? If we really want to push that argument forward, 
libertarians need to get together and start those charities, start those businesses now, not and not wait till government gets moved out of the way. A lot of libertarians are. I mean, you see libertarians involved in the Seasetting Institute, uh, the Lieberland Initiative, uh, the Bitcoin stuff. Mm-hmm. That technology is really changing uh, the ability for people to operate outside of a lot of the, the regulations, the taxation that really makes it hard for people to do business. It's literally saving lives in Venezuela because in Venezuela, basically, the, oh, yeah. they just keep printing money and making the money more worthless. But Bitcoin has actually allowed people to to generate money and actually money that actually holds value. Um, so technology and, and businesses and innovation are the way, and we need to focus on that. But we need to make we need to really make examples and and be the example of the solution we're talking about. So be, create those charities so that we can say, see, the, there are charities. I mean, mm. I know there's charities that exist, but we need to create more examples of what our solutions look like so that way we can be like, see, that's that's what we're talking about. Yeah. And then people will go, you know what? You're right. That works. Yeah. I read I read an article about Venezuela and Bitcoin that people are actually like um, they're, they're making they, they're, they're making these cards. Uh, and uh, they're exchanging those cards that that uh, that represent the actual Bitcoin, and they're oh. they're worth more than the than the money because they it's not like it's a fiat currency. It's actually backed by Bitcoin. That's awesome. I didn't realize they created money substitutes. Okay, cool. I mean, yeah, it's really interesting what's going on in Venezuela. So for those who aren't familiar with the whole story, what happens that in Venezuela, the government subsidizes electricity. And basically, so basically people don't pay their electric bill because the government decides to just make it a, a right like everything else. Part of the reason why Venezuela is in such bad shape right now. Mm-hmm. But people have taken advantage of that and been able to set up um, Bitcoin mining computers because one of the big costs with mining Bitcoin is electricity. So if the electricity is free, you get rid of that cost. Mm-hmm. And that's allowed people to create currency that has saved them from the inflation that's going on in Venezuela for some people and allow them to survive at least. Yeah. They, they're, they're trading rare Pepe, Pepe, the frog cards. That's <laughs> yeah. This is from uh, crypto uh, crypto insider. These Venezuelan developers are using Bitcoin and rare Pepe's to fight against a dismal economy. So that's they... great. <laughs> so Pepe, Pepe, the frog to the rescue yet again. Oh, four chan. <laughs> oh, the, oh my stars! Those those lads, they they do the Lord's work. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, have have you speaking about that? Have you been by? Have you did you go to the um? He will not divide us, Cam. Uh, when when he had it up. No, I don't. I mean, is that the, is that the like that twenty four hour camera installation they installed and people were like trolling it oh yeah it was so fantastic how he got trolled and then he had to then they then uh the museum of moving image shut it down he they moved it to like um new mexico and you know that got trolled and they shut it down and then he's like he put like a camera on a flag that that was supposed to last and 4chan using uh weaponized autism uh, to <laughs> to figure out where this flag was using ancient um ancient star mapping <laughs> techniques, and they stole the flag, and now it's uh, now he has it overseas. Gotcha. So yeah, no, I didn't follow that too closely, but yeah, no, I was I was kind of familiar with the situation. Yeah, it, it's hilarious. But I mean, why why do you feel people just don't want to take responsibility for their own communities? Like, I don't think it's that people don't want to take responsibility. Is that they can't anymore. The government has 
printed money. The government mm-hmm. has taxed. The government has regulated. And that's increased the cost of living. I mean, take a look at New York. It's impossible to, like, pay for rent, pay for food yeah. here. So then what happens is that people find themselves working 24-7 just to get by. So they have no time to volunteer. They have no extra money to donate to charity. Right. If you reduce the regulations, you reduce the taxation, you free up some of the people's disposable incomes, plus the price effects that would, people would have extra money. And instead of maybe mm-hmm. working the extra hours, they'll have extra time which they could donate to their communities or spend with their children, spend with all those things. Government's crowding out people's time. But Alex, without without all those regulations, I won't have clean water or clean air. <laughs> you know, a lot of the improvements in the environment have been done more due to technology and innovation. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, no any any business that might generate some pollution they don't do it for the sake of generating pollution. It's like reminds me of the old Captain America cartoons where basically you see the villains and they're that like their their sole purpose, all they wanted was to pollute. And it was just sort of like this weird exaggeration of like corporate America. It's like, ooh, we're, we get to put oil in the river. Yay. And it's like, that's not what happens. Like business, some businesses, people are dealing with the technology that's there now. Technology gets better and people are going to embrace newer technology because generally it's more efficient and generally more efficient technology is better for the environment so there's a natural economic incentive to become environmentally friendly over time as the technology develops but um, also on the regulation front is people don't realize that regulation Mm -hmm. makes things worse because what happens that regulation becomes more complicated and complicated and complicated and when you have complexity it means it's harder to keep track of who's following the rules, mm-hmm. meaning it makes it easier to cheat. Like I always use the analogy of Uno. You've played Uno before, right? Yeah. yeah. I love Uno. Yeah. I mean, but the thing is that the rules for Uno are simple. Mm-hmm. Anybody can figure out Uno. So you don't need a referee. You don't need like a government to tell you who's cheating at Uno. No. Someone puts a red two on a green four. I'm like, no, 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 no. Yeah. That's cheating. So, that, so that's why you want simple rules. So instead of, you know, a lot of times instead of saying I want a small government, I say I want a simple government. Because even if people can't get behind the idea of small, they can get behind the idea of simple. They can get behind the idea that government shouldn't be so complicated that you don't know who's following the rules and who's cheating and who isn't. Exactly. Um, because right now the government you have, the rules are so complicated, the, the stacks of rules. I mean, just like you – like any one rule regulation is bigger than the Constitution. And – basically it makes it impossible you need a team of lawyers a team of accounts to figure out anything mm-hmm. um so it, it, people are, are frozen if you want to start a business people don't have the money just to have the lawyers and accounts just to, to consider it anymore so people don't start a business so what what is the biggest i mean why oh goodness i can't talk today what, it's all good yeah <laughs> like what let's let's talk about the uh, new york state's economy like it, it always it always baffles me or or upsets me that like let's say let's say when it comes to the New York City subway system i i have a friend who works for the MTA and the way he explained it to me was the MTA does not get to keep the monies that they that they make from you know from you know selling metro cards fares and tolls and whatnot that goes upstate and they get they get back only a portion. Yep. Um, how like and, and with that portion, they have to pay their workers. They have to pay for improvements. It why why is it that New York City is always getting screwed over by New York State? 
it's just the nature of the beast and how a lot of this stuff was set up a long time ago. Mm. And that's why it's important to get like New York state legislators um, who understand these things and also people in city council because it's New York City, New York State. And I think there's even some other authorities that are outside of New York State that have some say in all of this uh, in the NTA and the NTA board. Mm. But it's not just that. I mean, there's also the Tappan Zee Bridge. The Tappan Zee Bridge is built on the widest part of the river. Now, generally, when you build the bridge, you build it on the narrowest part of the river. Why? Because then you spend less money building the bridge, and the bridge requires less maintenance costs. That's better for taxpayers and better for people who have to drive the bridge and have to waste less gas. Right. But they built it on the widest part of the river because of taxation, because of who would receive the taxes. Hmm. So the only way for the authority who built it to get receive the money from the bridge, they had to build it where they built it. And that means the Tappan Zee Bridge costs a lot more money to maintain. It You waste more gas going over it. It's... You know, the problem a lot of times is like a lot of these jurisdictional issues that cause a lot of problems. Um, but that's the, and the, the, those are difficult issues to work out, which is again why you need people with good head on their shoulders being being voted on, instead of a lot of the people you have nowadays who just think of state legislature or city council as a stepping stone to other offices, mm. and they just get in there and occasionally say something when it's something that people, you know, something that the broader city cares about and to get a photo op, but really nothing happens. Like most people in city council, most people in the state legislature, who, again, it's just a lot of series of photo ops. I think they just spent too much time around Chuck Schumer. <laughs> Don't go. Uh, I remember uh, yelling at him at, back in 2011 at the Puerto Rican Day Parade. <laughs> I was like, stop spending my, stop wasting my money. Yes. I actually asked the Puerto Rican Parade if I the Puerto Rican Day Parade if I if I could be there as as a Puerto Rican candidate. I figured, hey, they may be interested in having a, a Puerto Rican libertarian candidate in the parade, but they're like, no, we don't have uh we we were nonpartisan. What, what, but you know, they have mm. <laughs> But yet Chuck Schumer gets to be in the parade. Yeah. And and, and he's not even Puerto Rican. I mean, that, that that the one time I went to the Puerto Rican Day Parade, I see Chuck Schumer and uh, you know the the fraternal order of Freemasons, and I'm like, what, what, what? what? I, yeah, no, same thing happened to me. I went to go speak at the um, there was like a a Muslim Day event, and uh, you know I have a friend who's a Libertarian Party who's very involved in in the Muslim community over there in Staten Island. Mm-hmm. So he, he said, hey, come speak and address the crowd. And Chuck Schumer was supposed to address the crowd as well. And then when I got there, they said, no, no, we can't have you on. We don't we don't allow political parties to to talk. And we're like, wait a second, you're having Schumer. Oh, but he's 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 a sitting office holder, but we can't have candidates. He's he's coming here as a senator, and I'm like, that's unfair. So it, it, I've run into that a lot last year. Yeah. Hmm. Oh goodness. So um, you know, I I uh, and this is kind of a personal issue right now. I mm-hmm. I work. My job is you know uh, has a union, so I'm a I'm a union mm-hmm. member. What uh and, and you know, you know I'm kind I'm kind of torn because you know being a libertarian and you know the way unions operate. Um, what what are your thoughts on on unions? I mean, I you know unions have their place in a market mm-hmm. because again it's it's an organization. People have the right to free association to form the organizations that they want. Where libertarians generally have a problem is when any party, whether it's a business, whether it's a union, whether it's anybody advocating for laws that tip scales in their favor right so i am all for employees of any company 
wanting to voluntarily get together to negotiate because there are situations where you know an individual doesn't have necessarily the bargaining power to negotiate successfully to get things that they, that may be due to them but again that negotiation should be done on, on an even playing field right and there are a lot of times where uh, we use politics to, to tip the scales in both favors, and it goes in the in, in in it goes both ways. It's not just the union, but also sometimes uh, businesses. I mean, I'm right now. I was just talking to someone earlier today, mm-hmm. where they're trying to build a gun range in northern Jersey, mm-hmm. and uh, what happens is that suddenly now there's this big push to ban gun ranges in northern Jersey, and he's pretty sure that it's actually a gun range in central Jersey that's actually pushing for that because he doesn't want the competition. So he's now pushing a lot of the state legislatures up north because he has clout to try to get, you know, gun ranges banned in northern Jersey. So that central Jersey gun range can keep its business. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of times the people who are behind this are oftentimes other economic interests. Right. But back to unions for a moment. Um, my thing is that I think unions could be a much more powerful force if they focus on providing like, for example, right now, if you pay your union dues, a lot of that goes to politics. A yeah. lot of times it goes to democratic politics. Yeah, I so mean they're gonna be they're taking huh? they're not just taking union dues out of my check now. It's it's also um, like another uh, this nonprofit organization that I never agreed to. But, yeah, and the pro- yeah. Oh, sorry. And, and they the- they're supporting they're gonna be supporting candidates that I don't would never support. Like they they supported Hillary Clinton. I obviously didn't support her. <laughs> not not with the shirt that I was wearing that says Hillary for prison 2016. <laughs> Just mm-hmm. uh you and this know. is yeah, go ahead. Oh sorry. This is what happens. Like what happens is that organizations once they feel that they can use politics to benefit themselves, that's where they focus their money on. And again, a lot of businesses do this too where instead of focusing on how they innovate, how they improve their product, um they spend the money on politics because people have gotten so accustomed to abusing government and using government to bend things in their way instead mm-hmm. of actually just trying to win on merit. But unions, I mean, if unions focus their union dues on serving their union members, it could be transformative, okay? Because, I mean, people talk about things like parental leave and child daycare. How about instead of using the dues to go support the, the Democratic Party, the union uses your dues your, your dues to provide services to its membership, like daycare, like parental leave, and creating programs for that. So that way, you don't need to agitate the government to force the business to do it, because it's already part of your dues, and they're providing you more value. And you're not necessarily putting pressure on the employer that that could cost you your job down the road. So everybody wins in that scenario, but unions don't no longer have those kind of incentives. When they first started, they did have those kind of incentives because they were created for that. But then as politics got involved, as as people got the taste of government power and how what happens when you, you know, rub the rub the palms of Washington to use government power, all the money went there instead of actually providing value for their members. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's I, I've had to you I had to ask my union unions to step in with a with a missing pay that I had. And, and you know, it, it's like that's I, good. Yeah, I felt I felt torn and I'm like, well. If if I was missing pay and I didn't have this union, I wouldn't be getting my money back, getting the and, money that's owed to me that I work And that's for. what a union's for. A union yeah. should be there to represent its members in disputes with the employer. That's There's nothing wrong with that. There's mm-hmm. a difference when they start asking government to force the employer to do something. Right. You know, but when they represent you and they sit there, they may, you know, provide you with 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 an affordable source of legal counsel because all the members choose to. Gearheads know that some projects need so many parts, it feels like you need a whole storage unit just to store them. 
That's what eBay Motors' 122 million parts are for. Think of it as your virtual parts garage. They've always got the right fitment at the right prices. Use the eBay Motors app or visit ebaymotors.com. Let's ride. Pay into the union because they choose to become a member, and you get the benefit of the resources that come with that membership. Like you get the benefit of, you know, the membership at New York Sports Club, and you get certain benefits. Mm-hmm. That's fine because everyone's saying, okay, well, if we pool our money together voluntarily, we can provide resources that would be more expensive for us individually. That's fine. That's the way it should be done. Problem is we have forced union membership. Um, and again, that causes a lot of complacency in there. So why, why does the, the again, I think the union would do even more for you if they had to er, make you choose to join them because then they'd be like, how can I get you to join me? I got to make this so good, such a good thing to be a part of that you choose to join me. I mean, they like in order to uh, work where I work, it you know it was it was mandatory that I join the union, but yep. um, you know which as a libertarian that's wrong, but you know the benefits that that I get out of it, um, I don't I don't mind because they not only do they provide my medical and dental, uh, they have um training courses that that I'm taking advantage of. Mm-hmm. Um, I am, you know, they, if I needed this legal, you know, I could access legal, legal mm-hmm. stuff. Um, so, you know, I, I am benefiting from being part of a union, but you know, I, it doesn't, it, you know, I still can't forget that, you know, it was mandatory. Yeah. Agreed. I mean, I would just like at the end of the day, if we had a separation between politics and everything mm-hmm. that, you know, people always talk about separation between church and state. Really? I want to separate between union and state. I want to separation between business and state. I want to separate everything and state because you should choose what, where you work. You should choose if you're a union member, you should choose your religion. You should choose everything. And again, I do think unions provide a lot of value to, to, to their membership. Mm-hmm. I think there is a place for unions and I'm. I have not. I have absolutely no problem with unions. I just have a, a problem with any institution that abuses government power. Right. In, in fact, you 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 just mentioned you want a separation of of state and and union, state and business. Um, they just uh, Cuomo announced uh, I guess a few days ago that he wants to in the new um, the new budget free college. Um, oh God! Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my question is why when when government is involved in everything, why does it why everything goes completely wrong? It becomes too expensive. It becomes inefficient. Because they try the they, the government always tries to ignore the rules of economics. Mm-hmm. Um, here, let me go on my soapbox about education. Go, go right ahead. Now, the floor is yours. We recognize the gentleman. From, uh, where, where are you from? I, well, I'm, I'm from Brooklyn, so I'm probably not too far from where you're at. Ah, we recognize uh, the gentleman from what part of Brooklyn? Uh, Midwood. Oh, well, yeah, far. I'm in Williamsburg. Oh, okay, guys. Yeah, so bo- bo- you're burning north. ways. Burning ways, yeah. But bottom line is this. <laughs> what you see happen in education is the same thing you're seeing happen in healthcare. It's the same thing you're seeing happening in housing. When the government just basically says, hey, we will pay or we will subsidize the payment for something, mm-hmm. you're not changing the underlying scarcity. You're not changing the underlying amount of stuff. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like if I said, okay, well, I want everybody to have apples. Mm-hmm. Okay? So I say, I, the government, I'm going to just buy everybody apples. Does that change the amount of apples that are available? No. So then what's going to happen is that eventually you're going to have less apples, so the price of apples is going to go up. 
because everyone's buying all the apples crazily. There's just so much demand and not more apples that you're going to have an increase in the price. Mm-hmm. Now, yes, that also means that higher price is going to incentivize other people to make more apples. So you're going to have more apple farmers. Problem is, those farmers were farming something else. Right. So now a farmer who used to be farming oranges is farming apples. Someone who used to be farming almonds is now farming apples. So you've just made other things more expensive because for people to provide apples, now oranges are more expensive, almonds are more expensive. So it has all these distortions in the economy. Same thing with healthcare. You, we subsidize healthcare. That makes health care prices goes up. Mm-hmm. That incentivizes people to provide healthcare services. But those are also resources that might have been distracted from elsewhere in the economy and something else is now less developed because of it. Mm -hmm. Same thing for education. Um, And again, same thing for housing. I mean, take a look at housing prices. But with education, it becomes much more pernicious because with a housing bubble, when when housing prices couldn't go up anymore, well, banks could repossess the house. But what happens is that banks can't repossess your brain. So what happens when you can't pay your student loan? So really the way the student mm-hmm. loan bubble plays out, which is already happening, is just that you have a waste. Because what happens is you have someone who has very valuable skills that they've learned for four years, but a lot of, a lot of careers requires you to, to get a lot of experience before you actually get paid anything uh, reasonable, right. um, which requires you to do internships, volunteer but your student loans, they kick in six months after you graduate. So you don't have time to go take those internships, go get that experience. So you're just going to go grab the first job you can get. Mm-hmm. So you have so many different college graduates right now graduating and not taking all those skills that they learned four years and they're just not being used. So basically it becomes this just huge burden and you're wasting the resource, this, this human capital that was invested in, but now can't be put to its proper use because of this because we made it so easy to get loans which ended up over time pushing up the prices of tuition going back to that whole apple analogy when people buy something when you make it easy for people to buy something it's just going to make it more scarce push up the price and then again there's all those other distortions so it's there's a lot more to it and for anyone who's listening i I have done many videos on the subject Mm -hmm. which you can check out all my videos over there at youtube.com alex merced so two questions. I well, first one was I uh, saw this documentary. I don't know if you heard of it called "The College Deception." Uh, no, I actually haven't. Yeah, I, it's it's from a now defunct, uh, I guess, think tank. But they, um, the way they explained it was um, because by law, um, colleges can't accept people who are who have like who are ta- who received like Pell Grants or, or uh, federal grants unless they get more uh, students that are paying with cash or not using a federal loan or, or stuff like that, which that's how, that's why the price, uh, that's why tuition keeps rising higher and higher because, you know, in order to keep up with i guess inflation or and, and mm-hmm. you know be able to pay people you know uh to to keep with the uh oh god why am i forgetting words <laughs> okay so but the bottom line is to keep yeah. up to be able to get the subsidy from the government they have to be able to receive x cash yeah from cash payers yes so basically as the subsidy increases they have to increase the amount of cash they're getting on the side exactly 
Gotcha. So okay, yeah, I wasn't quite familiar with that, but that's that definitely would make sense. Yeah. So, do you believe that that's what's causing like the scarcity of like engineers and doctors? You you know, tech like tech uh, professionals is what like it's it's like an article that I read that um, Trump is not addressing that there's a shortage of of tech workers for these uh, for these jobs that are that are growing. Mm-hmm. Well, it's because you've distorted market signals. Like, let's imagine there's a world where the government wasn't involved in the house in the in the education market. What mm-hmm. would happen? You would have to go get a loan from a bank. Mm-hmm. And again, this is absent of any government loan subsidies that prevent the bank from losing money. So the bank could lose money if you don't pay them back. Right. So then the bank's going to care what program you're into. So the pro. So even though a young kid at the age of 18 probably doesn't know very well what the best choice is mm-hmm. or what they want to do and whatnot. I mean, I didn't quite understand. I mean, I was a popular culture studies major. I mean, I, I enjoyed what I learned, but um, I work in finance now. Right. Um, but the bottom line is that bank will have an interest in doing the research to find out what are sort of the next big career, big, big fields of study and say, hey, if you want a loan, you need to study this because we need to make sure that you can afford to pay us back. Right. Um, so then what will happen is that kids will have to either make a choice, you know, be like, okay, well, if I want a loan to go to this school, I need to take this program. But then the, then a new effect will happen. Colleges are going to be like, well, I still would like to offer a cultural studies program. But the problem is kids can't get the loan to pay the same tuition as the law program. So maybe instead of charging everybody the same price, how about maybe we charge a different price for the cultural studies program? Mm-hmm. Why should you be paying the same amount for a cultural studies degree than for a law degree? One's going to give you a very different income than the other. Um, it's like paying it's like paying the same thing for a Big Mac as I do for a, a double cheeseburger. Mm-hmm. That wouldn't make any sense. Um, so then what happens is that you'll actually have universities will have an incentive to create pricing based on outcomes. So then someone who wants a cultural studies degree can get it. But they're not going to have to go into $100,000 in debt to get it. It'll be priced affordable enough because of the income it generates. And then that kid won't be in so much debt that if they, they're not happy with it, they can go back and go get another degree. They're not stuck with hundred grand in debt because they chose the wrong degree because they didn't know better when they were 18. Um, so the idea is there would be actually be more incentives for people to re one evaluate decisions. And there wouldn't be such a high penalty for making the wrong decision which would make it easier for people to shift gears and actually supply those engineers. But also at the same time, the more we tax that, and like right now what happens, things like the minimum wage increases and whatnot, that also hurts because people are all upset about inequality, but sometimes those inequalities, some inequality, some reasons why inequality happens are bad. Some reasons why inequality happens are good. A good reason. Mm -hmm. So, so for example, if there is a scarce amount of engineers, engineers should be making a load of money, which they do, which means there's going to be inequality between the engineer and somebody else. Mm-hmm. But that's a good thing because that inequality creates an incentive to become an engineer to satisfy that that demand, that need for more engineers. Right. Because of the amount of time it's going to take me for to learn that. So you want those kind of inequalities to exist. You want those premiums for me for satisfying things that the society that the economy needs to exist. Mm-hmm. But if you sit there and say, well, I got to pay people this much and you start limiting or narrowing that inequality between the engineer and everybody else, then that incentive, that that extra that extra benefit for being the engineer is not there, and you diminish the incentive to do that. Right. So let's let's uh well we we don't got I don't got enough time with you but uh let let's uh I, you know I, I did my research but uh what does what does a comp troller do? 
Ah, yes. Okay, the comptroller. The comptroller is a position that I don't think enough people care about. Um, but it, it really does play an important role. And the person we have now really doesn't have the right experience to really be satisfying that role, mm. which shows in the results. Um, but basically, the comptroller has three main responsibilities. The first one is to audit the government. Um, so basically, that I, so for example, let's pretend I'm comptroller. I would be auditing the different programs. I'd be auditing NYCHA. I'd be auditing every all of the Blasio's different programs, mm. not because I'm just to say, okay, this is the policy. Here's how money is being spent. And the idea is that I'm supposed to identify whether it's spent, being spent well and can the policy be done better. So essentially, the comptroller is a watchdog. They're there to so – they're the watchdog for the taxpayer to make sure the taxpayer money is being spent wisely and not being wasted. Mm. The second job they have is that New York has to borrow money. All municipalities have to issue bonds to finance their day-to-day, exp- um, their day-to-day expenses. Mm. So it's basically they're taking out a loan. Now, the comptroller works with investment banks to help get those loans. So – you would want someone who understands interest rates and understands financing, which I do since I've been working in finance for the last decade, to kind of be in that space mm-hmm. to help New York get the best financing possible. Because, again, that means taxpayer dollars and having to pay back those loans. Yeah. So if I could save you a percentage points of interest because I'm asking the right questions and talking to the right people, well, that could save you hundreds of thousands of dollars in taxpayer money in the long run. Yeah. Let, let, let me interrupt you about. real quick when it comes to bonds because I'm kind of interested. Um like, wouldn't it be better to, for New York City to directly sell bonds to the people? Like, let's say, you know, I go into City Hall and I'm like, I want to buy New York City debt to, you know, to to be. Well, you know. here's the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem is municipal bonds, they generally have very, very low interest rates. Mm-hmm. The reason for that is is because they're exempt from federal taxation. So very high income investors with very high tax brackets, they like them because they end up making them more money after taxes. But for like me and you in a lower tax bracket, we'd be better off buying like a GE or like a GM corporate bond. Uh, it's not going to be making us enough money to be worth our time because we're in such a lower tax bracket. Mm. So most people really just wouldn't – they'd be better – there'd be better investments for most people. It wouldn't be suitable for most people in New York City. Mm-hmm. It would only be suitable for the most highest net worth investors, and those investors are probably the investors who are already buying them. Right. Okay. So um, you would think like a position like this – I mean this is a question that I had – why is this so why why is this position so politicized like why why, why does it matter if someone's a democrat or a republican or a the libertarian? third the third power of the comptroller is the most important one mm-hmm. the mo- what it is is that the pensions of the workers of new york city how they get invested has a lot to do with who's the comptroller Okay. Okay. So that, and then generally that means a lot of the public sector unions and the public sector unions, uh, again, they tend to lean democratic. So that that's part of the reason that makes it so political. Because I mean, these are the people with the keys. But the problem is the people who are in, the people like Scott Stringer who are in charge, they don't understand this enough uh, to ask the right questions. Mm-hmm. So for example, right now, let me actually bring up the numbers. I have the numbers right here on my phone. As far as how much money, because what happens is that if the pension fund. The money where all the pension work that all the city workers are going to get their retirements from, mm-hmm. if that fund doesn't make enough money, they're not going to get paid their retirement. So what happens if they don't make enough money, um, what's going to happen is that the New York City has to make what's called a catch-up contribution, which means we have to pay out even more taxpayer money 
to get that done. Uh, let's see here. Where did I put this? Um, bu -bu 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 -bum. I have the numbers around here somewhere, mm -hmm. but the bottom line is these catch-up contributions are like hundreds of millions of dollars. Okay, basically over the next between now and I think 2021, you're looking at a billion dollars, not of normal pension contributions, of catch-up contributions because the pension funds have not performed. Mm -hmm. Now, why have they not performed? Because we have an assumed rate of return of seven percent. So basically. We, when we calculate how much money we got to put in the fund, we assume that every year that fund's going to make 7%, which is actually a lot. Okay, that's the reason why it's 7% is because in the 80s you had much higher interest rates. So there were interest rates were like you could get 7 and 8% in your savings account. So using 7 to 8% for your pension fund made sense back in those days because that was relatively risk free when you had higher interest rates in a more inflationary environment. But we don't have that anymore. You're at 0% interest rates right now. So to get the 7% requires you to take a lot of risk, which is really hard to do for a lot of pension funds. Right. Uh, that's the reason why they were so heavily loaded with mortgage-backed securities that led them to lose so much money in 2008. So you have all these funds, people's retirement money, the, the money that they depend on when they retire someday is, is chasing too much risk. That's why what I want to do is I want to start the conversation about lowering that rate to something like 3 or 4%. Now, what does that? That means two things. One, that means the annual contribution that has to be put into the pension fund will be bigger. But I do think the taxpayer will save money in the long run because you won't be chasing as much risk, which means the portfolio will be more stable, which means you won't have hits like 2008. Mm -hmm. And plus, it'll more predictably hit its benchmark, which means you won't have catch up contributions. So basically, we say 7%, which means we have to put less money every year, but we end up putting more anyways because we're not hitting 7%. So I'd rather actually just have a rate that we can hit so that way we're not caught off guard with a billion dollars worth of catch-up contributions. Mm. But see, these are the things that Scott Stringer wouldn't know to ask because he doesn't know this stuff because he's not a finance guy. He's a politician. He was the borough president of Manhattan before he was a comptroller. He doesn't have the financial background to be – he has financial people around him. But mm. again, you need – the person at the top has to know what to ask the people around him in order to get things done. So how did he get this? How did he, why, why did he go for a job that he wasn't qualified for? Cause he wants to be mayor. Like is, he, that's is, the big, that's been all the big deal this year. Like is Scott Stringer going to run for mayor? Is he even running yet? Has he, he hasn't announced yet. Cause he's, he might not announce because it might not, he might, again, when you take a look at the polls, it might turn out that when he does his research, that it may not be a good time for him to run against de Blasio. Um, and that the polls may be too much in favor of de Blasio for him to risk his seat of the comptroller. But the thing is that, I mean, in 2015, the pension funds only returned 3.5%. That's half the 7% they're required. Mm. Um, you know, so again, it'd make much more sense to be at that 3 4% from the get-go as our benchmark. But no one's talking about it. And these are these are there's a lot of people who work for the city of New York of city of New York, and they should be caring. And those are mainly union labor who should be caring how these pension funds are taken care of. And that there you have somebody in office who does care that these things are taken care of. So, so okay. Final question: um, Who who do you like for uh, mayor? Whoever the libertarian candidates are, um, I, I have an idea who the candidates will are, which one it will be. I don't know. Whoever is the Libertarian Party candidate will have my support. 
Um, mm-hmm. I right now it looks like it's going to be me for comptroller. It's going to be Devin Balkin, who's awesome for public advocate. Okay. Very interesting guy. He knows a lot about technology and wants to take a lot of use a lot of t- t- technological his technological know-how to make New York City more efficient to save taxpayers money. Um, so he's a people should look into him. His website is probably up by now. And then for borough president of Manhattan. We have my ex-campaign manager who just had his baby a couple days ago, hey, or had a baby tough. a couple days ago, <laughs> and um, he's 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 running he's running on a solid platform of getting rid of the borough presidency, which is a useless position that just mm-hmm. wastes taxpayers' money. Right. So they literally do nothing. Okay, so is David Yalkin or Balkin? Oh, uh, B A L K I N D. So, uh, or yeah, Balkin. B A L. Yep. So Devin. B A L K I N D. And his first name's Devin. K I L. Okay. Just get. Yep. That. And then borough president is my ex campaign manager, Brian Waddell. And if you want, I can I can get them in touch with you if you'd like to have them on the show. Yeah, that'd be fantastic. You, you know, the more, like, you know, hell, get a libertarian for dog catcher, even though there's no such. At least not here in New York City. I don't think there's a dog catcher office. No, but no. we have a lot. There's a lot of offices. There's some really cool candidates um, for city council. Um, there's a couple of them. I, I, there's, a, there's a couple of candidates I, re, I really like. And also the other person everyone needs to know about is Larry Sharp. He'll probably – he's more than likely, pretty much I would say 99% chance he'll be running for governor of New York next year for 2018. And if you have not heard Larry Sharp talk, he is the – most exciting libertarian voice in libertarianism right now by far so people need to like and if you didn't watch the debate last year the vice presidential debate at the libertarian national convention mm. watching the watching him and um uh, uh william weld kind of go back and forth was pretty amazing wait he, he used to be a, a professional wrestler no, no, no. Larry Sharp is that's a different Larry Sharp. Oh. Yes. It, you <laughs> I always forget that there's that Larry Sharp. Oh, um, it's a, it's the same spellings. He's a different different guy. Found well, him. On face, so if you want to find them is Facebook. His uh, Facebook page is Larry Sharp, comma libertarian. And then my Facebook page is Alex Merced dash libertarian party. So Anyways, Alex, thank you for coming on. You are welcome to come on anytime you want. Oh, you know, just like hey, Louie come on I, I i need to come on i need to like say some stuff you you are more than welcome to come back on um and and you got my vote you know Thank you. I, you got my vote uh you know you you better win <laughs> it's well, we we need to we need to drain drain like to use uh trump's term we drain the swamp over here <laughs> we are working hard at the libertarian party we have a, a lot of work to do here in new york um Again, to, after 2018, if we can win that ballot access, it will change the game. And we can start really putting up some points on the board here in New York. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to be trying my hard to, to get the word out, about, especially about, these, about the, the pension fund stuff and all this stuff. Because a lot of people don't realize a lot of these financial aspects of running a city. And I think there's a really strong case for a libertarian in a position like Comptroller. Because as Comptroller, I don't get to set minimum wage. Mm-hmm. I don't get to set taxes. So... If you disagree with the libertarian on those aspects on policy, it doesn't mean you can't vote for them for comptroller because all a comptroller is is a watchdog. And what you want is someone who who deeply, deeply cares about protecting tax dollars and pension dollars. Like the slogan for my campaign is, "They're your, it's your taxes, it's 
your pension, it's your life because I'm here to protect your life because those dollars matter because those dollars are your retirement, your tax dollars are the time that you spent at work that you could have been spending with your kids, with your family, in your community. So someone needs to be out there protecting them. Exactly. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Alex. And and we got to do it. We got to. I got to do this one more time. I got. Yeah. By state law, I got to. No ways. Got to do this. You can't see it, but I'm dancing. <laughs> Thank you. I'd like to thank everyone for listening today. Please smash that like button. And also, please, 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 please follow Alex at Alex Merced on the Twitter. That's A-L-E-X-M-E-R-C-E-D. Check him out, AlexMerced.com. Follow him if you're in New York City or know any New Yorkers. Tell your family, friends, vote. Vote early, vote often, like Vermin Supreme would say. (laughs) (laughs) Just, uh, <laughs> oh vermin! Oh vermin! I, I love I love him. <laughs> yeah, actually, he endorsed me for a U.S. Senate. Oh, I actually have that on video. Oh, that's that's awesome. Yeah, that's yep, awesome. that was awesome. <laughs> so yeah, and you also do your own podcast, the Alex Merced Cast. Just again, only go- one of six podcasts that I do. So I do the Alex Merced Cast about mm. uh, about libertarian politics. I do Breaking Progressives, where I break down liberty uh, left wing mm-hmm. narratives every week. I do oh. Economics, Why Not, which is about economics. Mm-hmm. Um, I do Libertarian Comments, which is just really a lot of my old recordings from 2008, 2009, 2010. Mm-hmm. And I also do a podcast about podcasting, podcasting and logging tips and tricks. Ah. So go on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, subscribe to all of them, and please leave them positive reviews. All righty then. So, yeah, you can also follow me at LouisB1 on Twitter. Also on Gab. You should get on Gab. Gab is also at LouisB1 because uh, Twitter is dying. Um, and, uh, you know, follow me on iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio, iTunes, and Stitcher. And also, of course, Spreaker.com. This is uh, this has been the Crowdshot Radio Show. And as always, from my house to your house. Mahalo. And oops. Facebook leads the industry in stopping bad actors online. That's because they've invested $13 billion in teams and technology to enhance safety over the last five years. It's working. In just the past few months, they've taken down 1.7 billion fake accounts to stop bad actors from doing harm. But working to reduce harmful and illicit content on their platforms is never done. Learn more about how they're helping people connect and share safely at about.fb.com safety. Gearheads know that some projects need so many parts, it feels like you need a whole storage unit just to store them. That's what eBay Motors' 122 million parts are for. 
Think of it as your virtual parts garage. They've always got the right fitment at the right prices. Use the eBay Motors app or visit ebaymotors.com. Let's ride.